Hey friends, welcome to the Wild and Free podcast, where we combine our love of great coffee with an even greater purpose, to make a difference in the lives of those affected by human trafficking. I'm Twyla, owner of Wild Ginger Coffee and host of these life-changing conversations. Gosh, this conversation with Glendine is so rich. She is just an absolute world changer who lives in Oakville, Ontario with her husband of 44 years, has three married children, eight grandchildren, who she says keep her up to date on our constantly changing culture, and somehow manages to find time to found and still run the national anti-human trafficking organization, Defend Dignity. When she is not engaged in all of those things, you'll find her traveling, reading, walking, or sipping on a good cup of coffee in a quaint small town. This is why we're friends. (laughs) Glendine is a pastor, educator, and a lifelong learner, especially when it comes to learning from her survivor friends, and she is passionate about aligning her heart to God's heart when it comes to issues of justice. I don't know if you're ready for this, but ready or not, here's my conversation with Glendine Sherrod. Just one thing before we dive into this conversation. This episode contains content that may be considered graphic or cause individuals to be triggered. If you are worried that you may be triggered, please listen along with someone you trust. We want our conversations to be helpful and not hurtful to our listeners. So if you're ready and you've got your listening buddy with you, we would love to have you join us. Welcome, Glendine, to the Wild and Free podcast. It is so good to have you here. It's been about five years since I plopped down in that seat next to you randomly in LA, thinking there was nobody else in Canada that I would know. <laughs> and you're like, hi, I'm Glendine. Yeah. I'm from Canada. And I was like, yeah. what? Anyway, it's so good to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. And I know, I know it's absolutely amazing that here we are, right? Five years <laughs> later. It's great. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Well, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the listeners? Tell us a little bit about you and how you fill your days. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, I've been married to my husband for, for 44 years. And when I say that, I can just hardly believe it because, you know, yeah, I was a baby when we got married. Uh, <laughs> not, not quite, but I was young. Um, and we live here in Oakville, Ontario, and we've lived here about eight years. Uh, I've moved 21 times in my life, so I've lived all over Canada. Uh, but this it, this area is actually home to Doug, so it's it's nice to be here to have uh, some of his family that's close by. We have three married children. Uh, our oldest, our son, and his family live uh, not far from us, which is really nice. But we have two married daughters who both live in southern Manitoba. So but with with all of our kids, we've got eight grandkids, which we absolutely love and adore, of course. And uh, yeah, we love traveling. Uh, we did across almost across Canada trip, not not quite all the way, but we oh. did get to BC this summer uh, driving. So so that was really fun. It filled up a bit of our, you know, we haven't been traveling, right? Because nobody's yep. traveling these days. So yep, that's my right. dream to drive across Canada. Like ah, okay. Goals. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're living the dream. Yeah. It's a beautiful country and we have friends and family like all over the place. So it was, yeah, it was really good. Yeah. Well, if you've moved that many times, you would probably know people. What would, is there a a place that feels the most like home to you? Yeah. You know, I, I always feel like it takes a while, right. For a place to feel like home, but wherever I am, it feels, feels like home. Uh, I wish all of our kids and grandkids were closer uh, but I think because, you know, where we are now, Doug's family is close by. We do have a son here. So, you know, for sure where I'm living right now feels like home. But yeah, yeah when I have, ch- when I think back to childhood memories, because we, we moved a lot as a kid. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I don't, I can't really identify one spot that, you know, is home, home. Yeah. So, yeah. That's so interesting. <laughs> yeah. And I love good coffee, Twyla. You'll be happy to hear that. I and nothing thrills me more. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I've had your coffee, and it's good coffee. Good. Yeah. I'm so. I was going to ask you if it made it. I was hoping if batch yeah, number one yeah. made it anyway. Batch number two will be on the way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I and I enjoyed it. It's all gone. So. Um, and somehow, in the midst of all of this, while you are, you know traveling and hanging out with all your grandkids and all the other things that you do, <laughs> you have somehow managed to found. Um, a pretty amazing organization called Defend Dignity. 
Can you just tell us a little bit about that and how how did that happen? <laughs> oh yeah, well there's this there's some stories there, that's for yeah. sure. Um, well, we started in 2010, and at the time I was directing um, a national ministry for our church denomination, and that's sort of uh, part of the story and how it got started. Uh, I was uh, myself and other people that were in leadership roles here at within our denomination, which is the Christian and Missionary Alliance Churches in Canada. We were asked to look at justice issues. And for me, the, the question was, you know, what's a justice issue in Canada that you could be championing? So very, as God always does, right? He prepares you for these, these kind of questions. And I'd say probably Twyla, uh, that question probably was given to me back in 29, 2009. And I'd say for a good five to seven years prior to that, God was doing some really uh, good work in my life around mm -hmm. justice issues. And I had been praying for probably five or seven years, Micah 6, 8. What does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with him? And I, I had been saying to the Lord, because of all the stuff he'd been unearthing and showing me and books and people, and you know how that all goes. Yes, yep. And, and um, I've been saying, okay, Lord, I get it. I'm, I'm now, you've opened my eyes. I get that I, I need to be pursuing justice and, and loving mercy because that's who you are and that's what you want me to do. Mm. But who should this be to and for? And so that had been my constant prayer for, for a number of years. And so when you add that question now that had been posed to me in this position of leadership, then it was like, okay, I wonder if this is going to take me on a journey that might lead me to where God wants me to go. Mm. So fast forward to a few, you know, interesting things like we, um, we were living in the city of Regina at the time and uh, an ad in the local newspaper popped off the page. They needed volunteers at the local food bank. I went down and said I could volunteer a half a day a week, and that's where I met a prostitute for the first time. And then they, there was also a ministry in the city there where a, a bus would go into sort of the heart of the city where some of the more tragic things in cities happen, and to minister to women that were working on the streets uh, as prostitutes. And so I did some of that, and my eyes just got more and more open to this issue, but I would say that the absolutely pivotal point uh, in in actually thrusting me into, okay, let's look at actually starting something here, was meeting um, a survivor who is still a very dear friend. And mm -hmm. she spent a day with myself and a few of us that were in this leadership group and sharing her story of, pro of being a prostitute, how she got out and all of that and looked uh, looked me in the eye and said, what are you going to do about what you now know with the level of influence that you have, which I didn't really think I had a lot, but you know, she just super challenged me. Wow. Yeah. And so when you take, you know, what my leadership was saying to me and all of these other events that were being orchestrated in my life, and, you know, even before we had the, the day with Trish, she had very, very wisely said, you know, I'm going to come and spend a day with you. We'd invited her to do that uh, on one condition. And Glendine, the condition is, will you, will you read through and watch everything that I'm going to send you, knowing full well that this church lady is going to be so shocked if I come and just tell my story. She needs to, you know, she needs to get prepped a little bit. <laughs> So really, it was those because she sent me a ton of stuff and probably it took me a good solid two weeks to plow through everything that she had sent. And, you know, Twyla, I can still see myself sitting in my office, just tears streaming down my face, reading these report after report after report. And God so clearly saying to me in, in those in those moments, you know, that verse you've been praying for all these years, this this is the people. These are the people who I've said you better act justly for and you better show mercy to. And I'll, I'll show you. I'll show you what to do. Just this is the group. Mm -hmm. And so I knew before I even met Trish, um, this was going to be, you know, whatever Trish had for me was something I needed to pay attention to. So there was a few of us that sat around. Uh, she spent about eight or eight or nine hours with us that day. She left and we sat up till the wee hours of the morning, just praying and saying, okay, God, what is it you want us to do? 
And that was really the birthing spot, the birthing place. And of course, you know, grown and changed throughout the years, but uh, that was kind of the start of how, how it all came about. Yeah. I love, I feel like this is a recurring theme whenever I talk to people who have been, you know, led towards something and not even necessarily the sex industry, but something that the Lord's put on their heart. And it's always yeah. the Lord has first broken their heart for Yes. You know, that and, and that can come in in a myriad of ways. And it was a similar to me. Yeah. It was just like I was just in tears. Like, yeah. And I was like, what on earth is happening? I have never, yeah. you know, it was yeah. just like you're all of a sudden made aware of, of this thing. And and it's not even so much of I mean, you can have a lot of knowledge and like know statistically yeah some of the things that are going on but until you feel this and, and i remember like the lord specifically saying to me like you feel like this how do you think i feel yeah. when these are are my daughters and when when we get a glimpse of of what what the father's heart is in that yeah. and we're yeah. broken in that and the fact that you would would sit you know with her and be like we need to just learn from you um, yeah what a, what a gift. So as an organization, I, I did a little digging on your website. Sure. <laughs> but you, um, your main focuses are awareness, aid, and advocacy. Um, can you just tell us a little bit yeah. more about maybe what each of those would look like tangibly? Yeah. So, you know, our overarching mission is, oh, it's probably a little bit crazy, but it is to try to end sexual exploitation in Canada. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, those three A words we feel for us anyway are just key to trying to accomplish that mission. And so, you know, raising awareness, education, people can't bring change to anything until they know about it. And there's such a, of course, such a huge link between awareness raising and just prevention, right? Uh, mm -hmm. as, as kids who are most commonly exploited begin to learn about uh, the warning signs of, you know, what, what's, what are the tactics of pimps and all that kind of stuff, then of course, uh, you know, hopefully some prevention is going to happen as well. So we do spend uh, time on this for sure. We've got a youth curriculum that we developed probably four or five years ago, and it's just had a revamp. We're going to re be relaunching it in October. Oh, wow. Um, so we, we did that really to target the, I'd say the 12 to 15 year old uh, so it's got leaders guides and all sorts of stuff. So we're talking, you know, a teacher could certainly use it in a school setting. Uh, a youth sponsor could use it in a, in a church youth group. Um, you know, it, th there's all sorts of possibilities for it. We've got some large group stuff and small group stuff. So we put that together. Um, we do all sorts of social media. We create videos, uh, a lot of, uh, but back when we were able to travel more, we did a lot of events and uh, probably with two different uh, foci. One would be around the prostitution trafficking side of things. And then in the last three or four years, we've developed a whole conference, which we've now uh, pivoted to do as webinars uh, on the issue of pornography. So a lot of that kind of stuff, we just did a, a, a summit, uh, first time ever we tackled this, uh, the Canadian Sexual Exploitation Summit, which was going to be held in the city of Winnipeg. And then of course with COVID, we pivoted to do a digital uh, summit and ended up with 1200 people from around the world. Wow. So it, it, was, it was a great pivot uh, in this case. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, so, yeah, we just see that as a, a crucial thing uh, to be part of. Is that something you're yeah. going to do um, continually? We are. Yeah, we, we're going to do another one in 2023. Uh, we're just getting our planning team together to start working on that and are making decisions pretty early on here. Is it going to be a hybrid event or will it just be digital, purely digital again? So we're, right. we're figuring all that out. But yeah, we had such great uh, feedback and participation uh, with it, we just said, okay, we are crazy not to do this again. Um, mm -hmm. You know, for instance, Twila, we had a we had a number of police officers come, and I had an RCMP commander. She's up there. Uh, reached out to me on the first day and said, okay, I I bought for myself a lifetime access pass, but I is there any way I can get it for my whole my whole group? It was about twelve people that she oversaw, and she said, we want to use all of your sessions to train all of our officers. So, you know, stories like that, I know, it was like, yeah. oh my goodness, well then I think we better keep this up. Um, 
so yeah we're awesome. we're going to be doing another one so and anyone can sign up for that i mean yes you know, anybody can sign up yeah we had yeah like i say 1200 people from literally around the world uh come and yeah i was you know a little bit skeptical right when you when you go from an in-person thing to a fully digital event is there going to be you know will there be networking are you gonna like what's it gonna be like and yeah yeah we we used a great app that made it super easy to do all that so yeah we were really pleased with how it turned out so then another a word is uh advocacy and you know i think a lot of people would say to me um that this is that this is what pops out to them when they think of who we are is our work with uh, government and we try to influence uh, lawmakers so whether that's federally provincially municipally uh, that's we certainly do a lot of that sometimes that looks like holding an event on parliament hill where we would invite experts on the particular topic or law that we're trying to influence uh, around uh, it's it's all sorts of things strategically meeting with senators and MPs and staff members um, this past six months I would say we've never had such privilege of, of meeting with and talking about probably six or seven different pieces of federal legislation and in a couple of those the MPs actually came to us before they'd even tabled the bill and said you know what's your input on this uh, so I just look at that as such a tremendous privilege to be able to talk mm -hmm. to our lawmakers as they make these laws, because without good laws, um, you know, we could be doing a lot of stuff on the ground, so to speak. Yeah. But if we don't have good laws in place, it's going to be never ending. And so that's just so necessary. And then we also advocate for the last, uh, I'm trying to think, when did we start our Choose Change campaign? Probably it's been running about five years now as well. And so with that, we advocate for change with corporations and organizations. And so we've had some great little wins with that. Weren't sure how that would go. But uh, so, for instance, one of the wins we had a few years back, we reached out to Boston Pizza restaurants and said, hey, we love that you've got free Wi-Fi in your restaurants, but how about you, you filter it so that especially when kids are in there with mom and dad and they're on their phones, they're not going to stumble across pornography or anything else that could be harmful for them. Mm. And uh, within two days of reaching out to them, they got back to us. They had a marketing lady got a hold of us and said, this is brilliant. Absolutely. We're going to get this into all of our restaurants. And she said, I'm going to call you the day the last restaurant has got filtered Wi-Fi in their, in their restaurant. And she did. And um, so, yeah, that campaign is, uh, we've got some cool stories around that. And to such a degree now, you know, we're sitting, we're sitting with the chief executives of Facebook and Instagram, TikTok. Um, we've had meetings with all of these social media platforms because of the huge complicity and challenges there are around trafficking issues, pornography issues on all of those social media platforms. Wow. So... Um, so yeah, that's the kind of advocacy that we're, we're trying to do is influence for change and help these companies, lawmakers figure out, okay, we've got to have good policies, good practices in place here to protect, especially kids, but really all of us. So, um, and then, uh, aid. So aid is the, the last A and that is, um, probably the shortest that I'll talk about is uh, we provide financial resources to survivors of sexual exploitation. Mm -hmm. And um, every year now, I'd say for the last two years, we've given away probably 60 to $75,000 each year to survivors who apply to us through this survivor support fund, which actually opens tomorrow, October 1st okay. for the fall intake. And then we do a spring intake as well. So uh, agencies, churches, whoever's working with survivors uh, can apply to us on behalf of the survivor. And you know, there's an intake form, an application form they have to fill out. And then we have a whole uh, system in place where we review the applications and determine who all is going to be able to receive uh, different funds for things that that they're needing. And um, so, you know, typical needs that we're getting asked to help with would be a huge one I'd probably say in the last two or three years that's just kind of gone off the charts is debt repayment and so what's happening right are so many of these exploited women their pimps or traffickers are taking out 
credit cards, uh, phone cards in their name, and then leaving them with these, these monstrously high uh, debts that they have to pay off. And so, and they can't, what can they do, right? They can't, often they can't get jobs, they can't get housing, they can't get all sorts of things because they still have these huge debts that they have to pay off. Wow. So, so that's some of the needs, uh, you know, things that you would expect, counseling, uh, education bursaries, um, dental work, again, the damage done to uh, women physically from their traffickers, from the buyers, often leaves them with huge medical needs. And so we're, those are some of the requests that come to us. Um, yeah. And then of course, when COVID hit, we just saw a huge uptake in, in how many were applying for funds. So just a question then about that, that fund. So yeah. how, how do you build up that fund? Is that people donating? Is that, where does that money come from? Yeah, we are donor driven Twyla. So okay. it is, it's from donors. And so, yeah, entirely that though the survivor support fund is entirely from donations, private donors. Yeah. And wow. so, That's yeah. incredible. I know. Like, I mean, the, the amount that you said you've been able to give like each year yeah. is astounding. And, and people, yeah. uh, in my experience, people are often, they want to do something, but they don't know what to do and they don't yeah. know how, and it's overwhelming. And, and that is, usually a good starting place for people is yeah. to go and support someone who's already doing something until you know yeah. where that space is for you and, and with what you guys are are doing it's i love that it it's such a kind of a holistic approach like yeah. you've you've taken on kind of all of these areas but i do just kind of want to hone in on the um you know addressing this issue through policy because that that is kind of unique you know, most of the places that I've run into are, you know, they're either running housing yeah. or they're, they're dealing directly yeah. with the survivor, but you're one of these, you know, kind of bigger organizations that is actually connecting with, you know, actually changing laws and this kind of thing. I know you talked about it a little bit, but I just, I want to know sure. more sure. Sure. <laughs> because I'm, I'm very fascinated by that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, again, I'm going to I'm going to say Trisha was hugely influential in this. So this is the survivor that uh, who we first met and really heard, learned from. And Trisha is, um, you know, a little bit unique in the sense that she she loves the political thing and she sees uh, she sees the huge value in all of this. And so I think it was a lot to do with her influence and. I would also say, Twana, that a big reason that we got into into this world, this policy world, was the timing of when we started. And again, you know, that's okay. just God's, God's doing, because when we started in 2010, in Ontario, uh, the, the prostitution laws that Canada had at the time were being challenged in the Superior Court here in Ontario. Okay. And that was all going on when we were birth when we were birthing. Mm -hmm. And uh, we we knew that the the old prostitution law we we do have a new one now which I'll I'll get into here in a minute, uh, but the old one was was probably going to be struck down. We didn't know it was being challenged in the Ontario court. It did end up getting pushed to the Supreme Court, and in fact, the Supreme Court did say no, it is not constitutional. And so back in twenty twelve, I think it was. Uh, early 2013, they said, no, it's it's doesn't withstand uh, the charter. So we're going to toss that out. And Parliament, you have a year to figure out what the new legislation is going to be. And if you don't do it within a year, then there will be no prostitution legislation at all. It'll just be everybody can do what they want to do. Wow. And so all of that was happening right in our very early years. And with Trisha's push to... Uh, to help us understand what was at stake here, we made the decision very early on that we needed to try to influence. Uh, and, and how do you do that, right? So yeah. we got this idea to travel across the country and to do what we called information forums, where we would invite a survivor, law enforcement, a service provider from within that local community. And then one of the best things I ever did was to call a uh, the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, which has an office in Ottawa, and their policy person is a woman named Julia Baisley, who uh, still is a very good friend of mine and a colleague. And I knew that she had, in my, all my research, I had come across blogs she had written, etc. 
And a lot of what the work is that they do in Ottawa is to do uh, lobbying, really. That's the word for it. Mm. So she and I got together and she began to partner with us. And so she would come to these events and talk about the policy and the law bit. And, and then the other piece, uh, along with educating, because, you know, what's so needed here is we need the Canadian public to engage and to go and talk to MPs. It can't just be us, MPs all across the country need to hear from constituents to say, yeah, this is really concerning and this is what I hope the law would do and I don't see that it's doing it or you know, whatever, whatever the case may be. Right. So I would say for sure us, us being uh, educated a little bit on what was at stake and then uh, holding events on Parliament Hill but the other key piece, I think, was in all of our awareness events to really try to engage the public to become as passionate about this as we were mm -hmm. and to write letters, go visit, you know, all of those things that are so, so important for people to change. Um, so that's kind of how we got started on those on those things. And, you know, we've done, I don't know, probably at least a half a dozen events on Parliament Hill we bring in expert speakers on whatever the issue is, whatever the, the law is that we're trying to influence for change on. And the last event we did, Twyla, was two days before the country shut down with COVID. Wow. We had flown in, I think there was five, five or six on the panel. They'd come from all across Canada. And we had partnered with what's called the All-Party Parliamentary Group to end human trafficking. So it's a group that's made up of, as it says, members from all the different parties wow. with the focus, the focus on human trafficking. And because of our work through the years there, we, we've gotten to know the members in this committee. And so they agreed to host us because you have to have MPs that are willing to host an event. Right. We, we, put the bill, we bring in the speakers, and then we strategically after the event, which by the way, they had to bring chairs in for, we had about 125-ish people, MPs and senators come to listen to these speakers. And then we had set up strategic meetings with uh, people from the Justice Committee, you know, different people that we felt really needed to hear one-on-one -on -one in their offices from these experts. And uh, so that was, yeah, two days before the country kind of shut down and nobody was flying anywhere. So just got uh, that in under the wire. <laughs> we did. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, just being there ourselves, a presence on Parliament Hill, trying to speak mm. into legislation. But then equally as important is engaging the public to to get involved, too. Right. This is, yeah, it's, it's not something that just one person is going to do all by themselves. No. We need no, no. everyone doing their thing in their corner <laughs> yeah. To, yeah. to get it done. And and yeah, this, this area, you know, has, I think, so few people involved yeah. or even knowing how to get involved. And I think this is like really great that you're yeah. giving an example to people of, of how they can step yeah. into this. And I, I want to um, just go in and talk about kind of the social media aspect of things for just a minute. And I know that's a yeah. little off script, but I yeah. think it's, um, it's a big deal. And I mean, there's yeah. probably parents listening to this or, you know, people with kids who, who have concerns about um, certain things on, on social media and not knowing how, how do you talk to your kids about these things? What are, yeah. what are the actual dangers and what is, you know, actually okay. And because it can, yeah. it can go to either extreme, right? Where it's like, everything is bad, like be afraid of everything all the time or like, ah, whatever, it doesn't matter. Watch whatever you want, do whatever you want. Yeah. How, and, and you're meeting with um, these companies, which I think is just awesome. Like, oh my yeah. gosh, my mind is continually blown in this conversation. You should know. Um, yeah. So yeah, what are the kinds of things that you're that you're discussing with these, if you're at liberty to share those sure. and kind of what can parents do or what are the things they can look for um, yeah. to help educate and, and protect their children? Okay, well, so there's a few questions you've asked in there, but let me start with the parent, yes. the parent thing. Um, you know, <laughs> smartphones that have access to data these days are just so problematic and as long as you can put that off listen i've got grandkids that range in age from 4 to 14 so i get it yeah uh, but i as long as possible don't give your child a smartphone with access to full internet data plans 
hold that off as long as possible because that's pornography in your hand. It just is. Right. It's 24-7 access. And social media companies aren't concerned about your children. You have to be concerned about your kids. <laughs> and just be yes. sure, you know, check check into uh, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or whatever it is. You know, they all have some level of parental control. We don't think there's enough. That's often what we're asking for is to increase it. Uh, but get in there, learn what you can, and make sure that you've got good controls in place on, on all of your so child's social media. And then I would say, you know, don't have it. Uh, they shouldn't be allowed to have it in their room at night. There should be a common family docking place where all the media, social media device or all of the devices get plugged into so that they're not having access to it at night. Uh, that would be one tip I would suggest. Um, you know, something else parents can do is we have, it's world renowned, uh, the Canadian Center for Child Protection. It's based in Winnipeg. If you Google that, they have booklets and helps and they have a whole analysis of every single social media company and all the major concerns that are there. They've just done tremendous work on this. Uh, so, you know, check them out, uh, take a look there. Um, there's all sorts of podcasts. If you start Googling uh, groups that do a better job than we do, uh, protect, protect Young Eyes, they do fantastic work. So if you're here listening as a parent, I would say check them out. They're going to give you just a, a ton of fantastic information about all of that. The latest thing that we've been talking to Instagram about, and finally, in fact, just two days ago, heard that they have put the pause button on this. So we are grateful. We'd love to hear them say we're going to toss the whole idea. They have been talking about, about starting a brand new Instagram app for the under 13s. They think this is a brilliant idea. And we have said that is not a good idea. <laughs> Kids under 13 should not be on Instagram. And Instagram is extremely problematic for women being lured, kids being lured for, for exploitative practices, for pornography. I could go on and on. And so we've been pleading with them, please don't start this app. And then just got news two days ago that they they put the pause button on. And I, okay. <laughs> I'm hoping that they'll... They'll listen to not just us. There's other groups that are doing the same kind of things with them saying, hey, hey, please. Right. But, you know, conversations with the Canadian Center for Child Protection folks, they've just said um, these companies are in it for the money. They are not in it to protect our kids. And that's right. where, you know, parents and government. And so here's one other. Here's where our work dovetails with with the stuff that we try to do with organizations and, and corporations and the stuff we're doing with government. So we just completed an online government consultation that anybody could have completed. And we actually had a page on our website where you as the public could have gone on and just taken our three recommendations and sent it off. But what's what, what the talk is in government and we'll see now with, with the new government in place and what, you know, are they going to follow through on this or not? I don't know. They're talking about creating an online regulator that would be the guy who has to oversee all the social media platforms, the pornography sites, so that if something were to be reported, you know, I saw what I think to be child sexual abuse material on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And so you as, as a, 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 just a public citizen would reach out and there would be a reporting mechanism and then within 24 hours, Instagram will be required to pull that off. And if they don't, the, the fines that they're talking about are exorbitant. Like this should mm. very much be a deterrent. So that's those are the kind of things, you know, that we're also talking to government about saying, listen, right. you, can't, you can't just have open season here on, yeah. on the Internet on, uh, with all of the social media platforms and the porn sites. There has to be governmental control. And there um, has to be, yeah, some form of like accountability and responsibility taken yes. because like, yes, like, well, parents are, are going to do, you know, as much as they can to know what their kids are doing online as much as possible, but things yeah. are going to slip through the, like, Absolutely. there's got to be yeah. that on, on both ends of, 
Yeah. You know, we're we're trying and yes, things are gonna get through at both levels, but we could be doing better. Yes. <laughs> uh being more intentional. You you can't you can't do that if you're not, you know, in involved in your kids' lives and knowing yeah. what's yes. going on, which is a whole other thing that we will get into, but it's yeah, you know, at, at all kind of there's so many, so many pieces to this. That's why I just wanted you to yeah. like touch on that briefly because I think that's a, a huge thing for for parents who are you know, their kids are kind of growing up in this very different world than even what I would have grown up in, yeah. you know, and, and what you yeah. would have grown up in and et cetera. And again, it's, we just have to refigure out how we yeah walk through yeah. like this cultural and moment that we're in. Again, we've tried to make it easy for people. So if you go to our choosechangecanada.org site, we are at the every year we switch out some sometimes we keep companies the same but we switch out the different companies who we are targeting it would take people five minutes max to fill out an email form we've got the email all written we have the tweet all ready to go you put your information in and and it gets sent as if it was from your email well it would be from your email but we've got that all set up on our website so it's super easy In instagram is on there you'll see you'll see what we're we're uh, targeting them about uh credit card companies are there etsy is there because we have discovered that etsy is selling child themed sex dolls we're oh, saying to etsy smarten up you need to get those things off there yeah. we're targeting uh, a western canadian family hotel chain which is still selling adult content uh, videos in their hotel rooms. We're saying you need to get that out of your hotel help hotel yeah. rooms. Uh, so th those are the kinds of things that you'll see on our Choose Change campaign. And I I want to say those things make a difference, right? Those it was a tweet that the Boston Pizza marketing woman saw, and that's why she responded wow. to it, yeah. through a simple tweet. So, I think that's so important for people to hear because it does, yeah. it often feels like the thing I'm doing is not big enough yeah. to make a difference. But if everybody does their one thing, it's huge. That can make a huge difference. And we're, yeah. we'll definitely make sure we have that info in our show notes so people can find that as well. And, and these are, there's a lot of, like, there's so many great resources that you've already mentioned that I think people yeah. are really going to be able to, to take a look at and use um, from your perspective over the, is it 11 years, 10, 11 years yeah. that um, Defend Dignity has been operating? How have you seen um, the human trafficking and sex industry change, grow? And what do you think maybe some of the causes of that might be? Yeah, so many things we could talk about here. But, you know, I would say um, certainly, you know, like I said, I, I rode around on a bus back in 2010 uh, on the streets of Regina and got out and, and talked and gave food to street prostitutes. And there still is some of that for sure, especially in our bigger cities. But it's definitely moved indoors. It's moved to escort ads online. Uh, websites it used to be things like Craigslist, Backpage. Those things are not selling now, but it's moved to other, lots of other websites that exist. So you know, if I'm speaking somewhere, Twyla, what I often will do is go to one of those websites, if say, if I'm in the city of Vancouver, and you know, within two clicks, I'm on these websites, and I, I will count how many women are being sold uh, in Vancouver the night that I'm speaking, and it blows your mind, right? There, there will be pages and pages of ads of individuals selling themselves on these on these websites. And so they could be escorts, they could be ads for a particular massage parlor or establishment where uh, sex is being sold. Uh, Air Airbnbs now, sadly, are being rented and used by pimps and traffickers to sell women out of. That's, a, that's an increasing concern, especially in our metropolitan centers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're seeing, we're seeing that happen. I would say that we're seeing younger and younger victims uh, younger, I don't even want to say this, but younger, younger women are worth more. A pimp and trafficker can get more money for selling someone who is younger because that's what men want. Um, I would say that's a, a, a change that we've seen. Uh, and again, the coming of the smartphone, right? It just changed. It changed everything. Right. And the accessibility to pornography, I know we're going to talk about that more here in a minute, but pornography has played a massive, a massive 
role in, in how things have changed there. Um, yeah, and you know, something else I would say too that that is, um, this might get us off on a rabbit trail, but <laughs> the, the attention to the issue of human trafficking, I would say is growing, right? I think the public is becoming more aware of the human trafficking issue. But what is also concerning to me, I will say, is while that increase in interest is good and the focus on that is good, there are lots and lots of organizations who, who want to separate out human trafficking and prostitution. And that is very concerning to me because the most common endpoint for sex trafficking is prostitution. And so if we can't settle in our mind uh, the, the harms around prostitution, and if, if, if people don't see prostitution as problematic, then we're going to have human trafficking around forever and ever and ever. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, there's, that's a whole other conversation, but yeah. um, <laughs> you know, there's growing interest in human trafficking. It's sort of a buzzword these days, I think. But when you, when you, I mean, I sit on a number of different collaboratives and I'm thinking of one in particular, which has probably got 40 different organizations that's part of it. And I would say seven eighths of those organizations would say, yeah, we're interested in trafficking. We're focused on some aspect of that. But if you push them on the issue of prostitution, they would say, oh, well, no. I mean, you know, if these women want to sell themselves on a website, that's just awesome and great. And they really see it as a, as a different thing. Mm -hmm. And I think the core vulnerabilities that would be in somebody who is trafficked, you will also find in somebody who is prostituting, whether they say they've chosen it or not. Right. Um, a lot of those core issues are going to be there. Yeah. yeah, and that that conversation around choice is so so dicey because it yeah. it's so hard to you know I mean how many times when somebody asks you if you like your job you say yes and two days later the answer might be you know and yeah and then you add and then you add you know any level of trauma into that or yeah. situations where you know it's like these things all kind of happened and I ended up here and I feel like I chose it yeah. But in the end, when I look at what my choices were, right, exactly, like rock hard place, I, you know, exactly. and I, I can't speak for anyone. And I have met women who say they love what they do. And I, I yeah. don't know. I don't know what's happening. But I also most of the people I talk to who work with women who are trying to leave all of like, they haven't met any of them that said that. Yes, they love that. They love. They the didn't grow up thinking I point. want to do this. Yeah, right. You know, Um. so it's it, it's a very it's a fascinating yeah. thing because it yeah at, at what point is it that choice piece is so yeah yeah what what is choice and what was sort of you're now pushed along this well and and you know i think if you when you know that the average age of entry into prostitution is 13 and a half years of age in yeah. in canada i did then, not know that that is alarming yeah and so okay mm -hmm. if they are that young how in the world can there be true choice? They are a minor, right? right. Um, so I, yeah, I just think we have to look at some of these systemic reasons why, yes, why mostly women, uh, certainly mm -hmm. transgender people and, and boys, mm -hmm. you know, that's happening too, but primarily yeah. this is a gendered issue. So right. uh, that when they end up there, what, what are the reasons? What, you know, let's look yeah. back in the past and it's, so often it's sexual abuse, it mm. can be family dysfunction, uh, there's often poverty issues. You look mm. at the huge, huge um, numbers of Indigenous women who are exploited. I mean, they're far right. overrepresented here in Canada. Wow. And you look at children in government care, they're vastly overrepresented. Mm -hmm. And so all of those things um, yeah. just make me question, is there truly choice involved here right and i think the voice of the survivor here is super important as well right yes. because i don't know any survivor who would say mm -hmm. if if i had been asked when i was doing this in quotes work yes you know, i would have said sure i chose it because you want to defend whatever it is that you're currently doing yes 
but give them a year out or however long they needed to be out to, to gain healing. And they would all say, oh my goodness, that was, you know, I was coerced, I was exploited. All those things were yeah. part of my experience. And, and when you're, the, the lines just get so blurred yeah. between, you know, what you chose and what was forced on you and yeah. what was like, okay, well, I, I chose to come to work today, but then I got forced to do this, but now I'm just back to going to work. So was I trafficked or was I, right. did I choose, what did I, you, it gets, it gets so blurry. I've thought a lot too, just in the last, you know, couple of years with what, with COVID, what's been, when going on, have you noticed anything kind of specifically mm -hmm. in, in this time in the move from in-person to virtual? Yeah, absolutely. COVID's made a big difference. Um, what I think thing, uh, sites like OnlyFans, Chatterbait, maybe you've not heard of that one. These are uh, webcamming sites. So where a mm. woman is, is posting pictures of herself on these sites, uh, but then offering live webcamming in a private behind a paywall kind of situation. Mm. And that, that has gone up exponentially. Um, now, some, some women are still being forced to be out there even with COVID and even before right. vaccines and all of that, right? That's been yeah. horrific. But certainly the OnlyFans, Chatterbait, any of those kinds of camming sites, yeah, they have, they've exploded, um, which is hugely, it's hugely problematic. Um, I just was reading some statistics here today that NECMEC, so that's the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children in the U.S., Okay. Has now seen in the last year and a half a great uptick in the numbers of missing kids that they're finding on OnlyFans site. And so you just stop and think, okay, if this is all camming, so there's there's not people around. You think of the cases of child sexual abuse material, how many minors are on these sites? Mm. Right? And and even if you know if if it's if it is truly her site, and she claims that she's 18 uh, because the, the sites are not checking. They're not verifying age. No. In actual <laughs> she could very well be 13, 12. And in fact, Twyla, this year, I had a long conversation with a police uh, officer who said they cannot keep up to the number of child sexual abuse cases that they are finding on these very sites that I'm talking about. They're just being inundated. Oh my gosh. So it's just heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and, and I think OnlyFans is, is such a bad one because they sell themselves as being this, you know, kind of like Instagram. And, and when you go on it, it is kind of what it looks like. And with the lure that, oh, you're, you can make thousands of dollars every month and look so and so mm -hmm. here, she's thousands of dollars. And, you know, here's the reality. So, what was it three nights ago through one of our social media accounts, I was sent a, a direct message from a, an individual who reached out saying, is there any way that you can help with finances? I used to escort. I was getting way too many violent situations escorting. Mm -hmm. So I transitioned to OnlyFans and Chatterbait and I cannot pay my rent. I can't. And I've been trying to get a regular job and I can't get anything. I'm absolutely desperate. Mm. I, I don't like what I'm doing on these sites. So, I mean, we hear these kinds of stories again and again and again, right? That they, the company, the, the sites try to sell that they're making, you know, you can make thousands and thousands. Um, but in, in actuality, you're not making thousands and thousands. And then behind these paywalls, it's, it's extremely concerning because you're being forced because you think you're going to make money to do mm -hmm. sex acts and things that you would never think that you would be doing in your life. Again, you know, the, the hugely pr problematic issue of seeing bodies and people just simply as commodities, right? Uh, and there, there really is no way to know, is this truly her stuff or is she being coerced is right is there a pimp on yep. the other side of the camera saying okay here's what you gotta yep. do um but and that's half the half of the um kind of like the tactics i guess that 
you know your traditional kind of pimp and like this situation would be is the the promise of you yeah. know, that's how they would convince a parent to sell it to give a child to someone else to this yeah. promise of a better life and this this kind of fulfilling of this longing that you're you're exploiting the actual like the human heart and soul of a person yeah. to to push them towards something that they're longing for that thing is you know inherently good but it is they get to this and, yeah. and all that glitters is in fact not gold it is actually yeah. chains <laughs> yeah. and before you know it it has enslaved you and it, yeah um yeah. and it's just now they're doing it in this online way which i can only imagine is actually harder to trace harder to yes find harder to everything um, yeah. so it would like appear that because you don't maybe see it on the street as much as you did that yes less of it but there is in fact yeah. more is yeah. essentially what i'm getting at with that <laughs> yes absolutely it's just moved it's moved into this online world that we're all living in now but yes. that's where it is and it's much yeah. harder to detect Gosh, friends, there is just so much in this first part of our conversation with Glendine. Um, it's a little like drinking out of a fire hydrant, so feel free to go back and listen to it again or as many times as you need to so you don't miss out on any of the amazing resources and information that she has to share. And it's not over yet, so stay tuned for part two where we tackle the tough issue of pornography and the profound impact it has on human trafficking. I promise you do not want to miss it, so make sure you subscribe to this podcast or our email list so you